Well, life can get pretty frustrating, can it? We're in this series called Greater Than, asking if God is sufficient for the largest challenges of our life. You might remember last weekend, we saw that God really is greater than our past. He is sufficient both for our wrongs and our wounds. And next weekend, we'll talk about our future and ask if God is greater than the things we're worrying about. But this weekend, I want to talk about the present. Is God really greater than the circumstances that seem so overwhelming to me right now? And so I came across a letter a co-ed sent to her mother and father while in school. Dear mom and dad, just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after grade 11 to get married. About a year ago, he got a divorce. We've been going steady for two months and plan to get married this fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. I think I might be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. Now, on the next page, she continued, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But, Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C in French and flunked math. It is true that I'm going to need some more money for my tuition payments. You see, perspective makes a big difference, especially when it comes to coping with the difficult realities of life. Because when life really gets hard, not if, but when life really gets hard, your greater than will be revealed. That which you go to, that someone or something you turn to, to brace you when life gets hard will be revealed. You have a greater than. And right now you are either looking at God through the lens of your circumstances or you are looking at and interpreting your circumstances through the lens of God. And it probably depends on what you think is the point of the story. Because here's what I've learned about us. We want a story with no difficult chapters. Not only that, but we feel we are entitled to such a story if we have been obedient. If we are truly trying to follow God, we feel entitled to a story that is an easy read. Football fans might remember this story from last November. The Buffalo Bills were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bills were a big underdog, but they had a chance to win the game. And here's the play that most remember. His name was Steve Johnson. Before this day, he was a fairly unknown wide receiver, but he was having a big day. He already had several big catches. It's in overtime and he catches that ball 
It's a touchdown and the Bills win. It hit him right in the hands and he dropped the ball. But that's not why we remember Steve Johnson. What we remember is what he tweeted right after the game because he tweeted to God and said, I praise you 24-7 and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? I'll never forget this ever. And he simply articulated the theology a lot of us have. That if I am trying to follow God, I'm entitled to touchdown catches. I'm entitled to good health. I'm entitled to raises. I'm entitled to obedient children. If I'm following God, my story should have no difficult chapters in it. But to that, I would simply say, read your Bibles. Because the Bible makes it very clear that everybody has terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. In fact, many of Scripture's heroes had difficult chapters precisely because they were being obedient. It was precisely because they were trying to follow God that life got so Hard. Remember what Jesus said in John 16? In this world, you will have trouble. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I would advise you not to compare your troubles to somebody else's. When my son Matthew was in first grade, his mother was having to give him nightly pep talks at bedtime about school. It was not so much that my son did not like school. He did not like having to go if he did not feel like going to school. He was fine with school as long as he was in the mood to go. And she was trying to explain that there's a new normal now that five days a week you will get up and you will go to school. She's given him this pep talk at bedtime. And finally, he just said, Mom, you just don't know what it's like in my world. <laughs> and the truth is, you don't know what it's like in my world. There are some chapters in my life you don't want. And I don't know what all is going on in your world. But I know this. You are either just coming out of a very hard chapter in your life. Or you are right now in a hard chapter. Or you are about to enter a hard chapter. You just haven't turned the page yet. Because nobody gets a story that is smooth sailing from start to finish. Now, I want to illustrate that with one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And for some reason, it's a story we do not read very often. It's the last two chapters of the book of Acts. 
So would you open your Bibles to chapter 27? I'm going to set the context. Paul has been in prison now for two years. It's been an unfair imprisonment. He keeps coming up before various courts. They can't prove him guilty of anything and they can't find the courage to release him. So finally, he appeals to Caesar, his right as a Roman citizen. So they put him on a boat under a Roman guard to take him and other prisoners to Rome. They take off across the Mediterranean and they encounter some difficult sailing. So they have to stop at an island called Crete. Now, in those days, you typically did not sail the Mediterranean in the wintertime because the storms were too severe. So Paul said, we're past the time of good sailing. We should stop and winter here. But the sailors weren't about to let some rabbi tell them how to do their job. And they were having a season of good weather. So they decided to try to go on and make it to Rome. And that's where we pick up the story. Because shortly after they left, Luke says, a hurricane force storm hit the boat. It says, starting in about verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So here's this rabbi saying to all this shipload of soldiers and sailors, because God is gracious to me, you all get to live. But this ship is going to wreck. Just know it's coming. See, at this point, they had forgotten about sailing the ship. They were just letting the wind blow it wherever it could, and they didn't know where that was. So they get soundings, and they find out they're getting closer and closer to some land they don't know where. And the ship is about to hit the ground, and the waves are going to tear it up. So look at what Paul does now, verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And just like Paul said, that ship hit a sandbar. It was stuck. The waves began to beat against it. It began to come apart. 
The captain told everyone to jump into the water. Those that could swim to shore. Those that couldn't swim, just find a plank and hold on for dear life. And that's what happened. And every single man on that boat survived and was washed ashore on some island they didn't even know. Now, chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, let's review. How many of you want this story? For two years, you've been in prison unfairly and there's no sign it's going to get better i mean this is two years in the prime of your life you don't ever get back then they put you on a ship and for two weeks you are in a storm at sea so bad you can't even see the sun and the stars that ship is going up and down it's so bad you can't even eat your stomach is churning so much with seasickness And then finally the ship wrecks and you're thrown into the water and for dear life you grab onto a plank and you get floated up to an island you don't even know and it's cold and it's raining and you decide to build a fire and you go and you get some brushwood and you put your hand into it and a snake bites you on the hand. At this point, if I'm Paul, I'm looking up to heaven, I'm thinking, give me a break here. Come on. How much more? How many of you want that story? But in the midst of it, Paul's greater than was clearly revealed. See, let me tell you a couple of things about stories that are important. One is that it takes unexpected twists to take a story where it needs to go. See, a good story is not one where you can predict the end at the start, but where surprises and developments you didn't see coming arise. You see, Paul would not have planned any of these circumstances. When I'm planning a trip, I don't plan shipwrecks. I don't plan snake bites. But Paul believed that all of these things could work and fit inside the plan of God. And what's interesting to me in this story is there's miracles all the way through it. There's angels showing up. There's prophecies. There's healing of the sick. And yet none of these miracles 
deliver Paul from his circumstances. Instead, his circumstances become the pulpit by which he can announce his greater than God to people who need good news. It was that storm he didn't plan and didn't want that became the pulpit for him to preach and break bread and give thanks to God before a bunch of pagan sailors. It was a snake bite that he didn't plan and didn't want that became the vehicle that opened the door for him to meet the most powerful man on the island and announce the Jesus that heals the sick. And before he would leave that island in three months, there would be a church meeting there. Because Paul knew to see closed doors as divine detours. Do you remember what he told the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 13? You remember that it was because of an illness that I came to you the first time preaching the good news. Now think about the powerful book of Galatians, how it shaped Christian history. We wouldn't even have the book of Galatians if Paul hadn't got sick. You see, Paul is constantly taking circumstances that are difficult, that he didn't want, that he didn't plan, and finding a way to transcend them and use them for the glory of God. Now, I want to ask, can you look back on your life and can you think of times when it seemed like you were being blown off course? It certainly wasn't where you wanted to go. But now you can look back and realize that God took you where you needed to be. And so I remember my senior year of college, I'm about to graduate from Abilene Christian. I knew the calling on my life was to be a preacher, but I was afraid. So I tried to find a job somewhere as a youth minister. The problem is that I was single and churches were afraid to hire me because I was single. I remember one church in particular, not far from here, a well-known church. I really wanted them to asked me to be their youth minister. I interviewed well. Everything seemed to go great. And finally they said, we love you, but we're not going to hire you because you're not married. And a week later, I get a call from a church in Abilene called Southern Hills. And they asked me to be their preacher. They also were looking for a youth minister, but they wouldn't give me that job. Because I was single. They didn't want me to hang out with their daughters. They didn't care if I hung out with their wives. (laughs) And I've thought many times how different my life would have been if I had got what I wanted. My call to preach would have been delayed. I would never have met Jamie, my wife. I probably wouldn't be here right now. But God blew me where I needed to go. I think about the first five years of our marriage, how often we tried to become parents. We went to doctors. We prayed. We had people pray over us. We cried and cried. And that's not the way I planned my family. It's not the chapter I wanted to read. And I look back now and I cannot imagine my life without Michael and Morgan, who we adopted because God took us in a different 
direction. You see, God's edits are not for the purpose of making you happy. But so that he can get you involved in his purpose of reconciling the whole earth back to himself. Because there's a bigger story that's going on and it needs bigger and better people. See, that's the second thing about a story you've got to remember. That hard chapters are essential for character development. You want to see a character grow in a good story. And it typically takes a hard trial to produce that growth. I have a friend that used to live in a city where the main industry was shipbuilding. And he learned something about that industry. When a ship is considered complete, they have to find out if the ship has structural integrity. Which is a nice way of saying Will it not take on water? They don't test the ship in dry dock by spraying it with big hoses. They send the ship out to sea. And if the waves and the storms and the rains of the ocean cause the ship to take on water, it is considered to have failed the sea trial and must come back to dock. Now, those who build the boats don't say that the sea caused the structural integrity, they say the sea revealed the structural integrity. The storms revealed the problem already there. Now the Bible says the same thing. James in chapter 1 verse 3 says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You see, it usually takes disorientation to produce reorientation. In other words, if God is going to get you to think a new way and to go a new path, he typically has to rock your world. And so God uses storms. Hard chapters aren't just inevitable They are indispensable in producing a story that's worth reading. Because you can't grow a character without them. Paul says in Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into trials and problems. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Because here's the deal. Getting where you want to go is not nearly as important as becoming who you need to be. In Acts chapter 16, it says that Paul wanted to go preach the gospel in Asia. That's a good thing to want to do. But the Holy Spirit told him not to go there and close the door. So he tries to go to Bithynia and preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit closed that door. So he winds up in Troas, not knowing what to do next. And in night, he has a vision and a man says, come on over to Macedonia. You see, God wanted the gospel to get to Europe. 
And so he goes over to Greece and he finds a girl with a demon and he casts her out and he upsets the owner. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas are in prison, having been beat up. This is what you get for following God. But the Bible says Paul and Silas in prison are singing and praising God. He transcended his circumstances instead of whining about God to transform them. Because he has grown as a man of God. And he understands now that his circumstances are pulpits to put on display the glory of God. You see, he served a God that's bigger than storms. Greater than snake bites. It reminds me of the old story they tell about the old West Texas rancher. He was a mean old cuss. He had no use for faith and religion. He had three boys, Jim, Sam, and John. They were just as mean as the old man. The church had tried many times to reach out to them, but he had rebuffed all attempts. But then one day, the youngest, John, gets bit by a rattlesnake, and he gets very ill. And the doctor comes out and does what he can as he's over him in bed. He's got a high fever, and finally the doctor says to the old man, All we can do now is pray. So the old man calls for the preacher and he drives out to the ranch. And there's the old man and Jim and Sam holding Bibles around John. And he asked him to pray. And the preacher did. He bowed his head. He said, Dear Lord, you know that we have tried many times to reach this family. We've prayed for this family. We've visited this family. They have rebuffed you at every turn. But now this One bite from this one snake has brought more religion into this house than all of our preaching and praying put together. So, Lord, we ask you to send a snake to bite Sam. (laughs) Send a snake to bite Jim. And send a particularly mean and ornery snake to bite this old man. In conclusion, Lord, we need bigger and better rattlesnakes. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, we ask God to produce the circumstances that we want. But God is much more interested in producing the kind of people that he wants. He wants a people that are going to give him glory no matter where the journey goes or how the story reads. And we can be that people. Because deep down we know that God knows how to write a better ending to the story. And so, what we really need to do if we believe God is greater than our circumstances is we need to give God editorial control. Because here's the deal. The great majority of you here right now want Jesus to be your Savior. You would not be here if you didn't want a Savior. That's not our problem. Our problem is we don't want Jesus to be our author. 
We want to write the story and ask Jesus to bless it. And the message this day is stop asking Jesus to fit into your plans. Because you are not the point of the story. Your mini narrative is part of a bigger story that God is writing. A grand ongoing story. And if you think that your current circumstances keeps God from using you, then your God is too small. And so, some years ago, I was speaking in a western state. I was coming home on Sunday afternoon, flying back to Texas, eager to get back for an event that evening I wanted to share with my family. As circumstances would have it, there were storms and high winds, and my flight was canceled, and I was quite frustrated. Other flights were canceled. The airline finally put passengers from different flights together on one flight, which meant my preferred seat was also changed. I'm not sitting where I want to sit. I'm not going to get home in time to be with my family. I'm quite frustrated. I take my place finally. I get out a book to read. And a woman comes and she sits next to me. She tried once or twice to engage me in conversation. I didn't respond with more than just a polite one-word reply. I had on a suit and had a briefcase because of what I had been at. And so we're five minutes into the air when she turns to me and says, Are you a lawyer? And I thought, I don't even know you. Why are you insulting me? No, what I really thought is, no, if I tell you I'm a minister, it's going to go one of two ways and either way could be bad. But I said, no, I am a minister. She started to cry. You see, three weeks earlier, her daughter had been killed in a three-wheeler accident. The reason she was at that western state was because her husband... Not a man of faith, having no way to cope, just shut down, grabbed his gun and said, I'm going hunting. After two weeks alone, she tried to go up and spend time with him. But it wasn't working. Their marriage was coming apart. So now she's going to fly home. She's got no faith community. She's got no marriage. Her life is coming apart. And so for a couple of hours, I tried to be God's instrument to talk about hope, to talk about resurrection, to pray with her and to give her the name of some Christian counselors I knew in the city that she calls home. And as we left, I knew 
It was not an accident that I was on that flight, that I was in that seat. It was not my plan, but it was part of the plan. And I try to remember that when I'm somewhere and I'm frustrated because it's not going like I want it to go. To just take a step back and say, okay, God, why am I here? Where are you working? How could this moment and this circumstance that I didn't plan and that I don't even want, how can it become a pulpit? That makes you look good. You don't always get to choose your circumstances. But you always get to choose your perspective. That's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We do not know what to do, but we do not give up the hope of living. We are persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we are not destroyed. We carry the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the life of Jesus can also be seen in our bodies. Paul's life had some hard chapters, but they revealed his greater than. And the reason his story is such a good read is because he totally trusted the author. And so a few weeks ago, we remembered the tragic events of 9-11. Do you know who was actually registered as the first fatality that horrible day? His name was Michael Judge, but most New Yorkers just knew him as Father Michael. He was a Franciscan priest. He was the chaplain of the New York City Fire Department. He would show up to comfort the firefighters and the victims. And when he heard the alarms go off, he grabbed his coat. He ran straight into those crumbling buildings. And the falling debris killed him. And as they carried his body away, they found a prayer. He had written earlier, Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And keep me out of your way. When God is greater than your circumstances... You give him that kind of control. So would you bow your heads, please? 
I don't know what it is, but right now in your life, there's something that's frustrating. There's a circumstance you would not have planned. Why don't you stop complaining and start cooperating? Why don't you surrender it right now and say, God, how can this become a pulpit for you? Why don't you right now make peace with the author of your story? Oh, God, we do not ask you to change our circumstances as much as we ask you to change us. That we can transcend those circumstances for the glory of Christ. Help us to become who we need to be. Because we're not the point of the story. But we do want to point to the one who is. His name is Jesus. And for his glory, we pray this prayer. Amen. So be standing, please. This is your chance now to join the story. We're going to sing and you can come. And be baptized right now into Jesus. Accept him as we thank God for a love that never fails.